in uh, through this day and through the month of October, we're studying uh, Satan and who he is and how you and I can be better equipped in order to fight him. And so as we look at the devil, I want you to notice this. We, we see him most of the time with two horns and red skin and tail and a pitchfork. That's not exactly how the Bible would picture him. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 pictures him as a roaring lion. And probably every week of this month we have studied and looked at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And the idea of a roaring lion. He's not a, a cartoon character. He is a, a, a vicious foe. And you and I should be terrified of him. We should know that, that with the help of God and through uh, the Bible, you and I can get through those temptations. But we should never take our eyes off of the fact that He is constantly working. John chapter 8 and verse 44, Johnny read for us just a moment ago. There's a couple of ways He's mentioned within that particular verse. And the very first one we generally kind of overlook and we say, oh yeah, John 44, uh, the... All the lies come from from Satan. And that's true. But notice the words Jesus used. Because John 8 and verse number 44 is Jesus speaking. The words Jesus used to describe Satan in the very outset. He was a murderer from the beginning. If you and I had a, a system of checks and balances and weights and scales for the idea of which sin would be worse in our mind, and, and you had to put in there lying or murder. I know which one, simply by the way I think, I know which one would tip the scales. And Jesus says, Satan is a murderer from the beginning. And he is the fountain. And here in John 8 verse 44, he'll use the word father. But this is the source of, of lies. This is this is where lies come from. Satan. That's how he's seen. He put lies in the heart of Ananias and Sapphira when they lied to the, the Holy Ghost in John chapter, or rather uh, Acts chapter five. Did he? He sure did. That you can get away with it if you like to. He puts lies in the mind of of people today. Nobody will see. Nobody will ever know. Brethren, that may be the biggest lie he's ever told. No one will ever know. I'm going to tell you of one who will know. And one who will know everything. There is not a thing that has been done in the history of man that God will not know. While you and I may get away with it from every other person on this side of eternity... When we slip from this side into that side, we'll face it again. And so we won't get rid of it by just saying no one will know. He puts lies on the lips of others. I know that you don't watch those things in the morning time on Sundays, but I do. You turn on any station you want to early on Sunday morning. And with the exception of those who are sound gospel preachers, only thing rolling off the tongue of men today as they stand before a group and try to at least fake tell what God would have people do. Lie after lie. 
Because they're preaching a, a, a gospel of what man thinks, man wants, what will satisfy man. So the lies that roll off the lips of others are interesting. But today, as we look at these knots in the devil's tail, as we look at the lies that he's trying to tell throughout history, uh, we're going to look at those things and, and see if they come anywhere close to the lies that he tells us today. Let's start in Genesis chapter 3. Matter of fact, Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1 is the first knot, that's an N-O-T in the devil's tail, that we find within the Bible. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the creation of the world happens. As a matter of fact, Genesis chapter 1 gives us an overview, and I think Genesis chapter 2 gives us a little more detail of that same week of how things happen. And it's not long between Genesis chapter 2 that Genesis chapter 3 happens. And so while Adam and Eve are there, Here's what happens in chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The very first knot in the devil's tail is found in the very first time in which Satan uh, interacts with Eve. He said... Can you not eat of every tree? As a matter of fact, Satan here intentionally misquoted God. And I think he may have said it in such a way that the intent was that it sounded close enough to what God said that it may have confused her. Matter of fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse number 15, 16, and 17, uh, Paul, by the inspiration of God, will shed a little more light on, on the mindset of Adam and Eve in this particular chapter. He said, the woman sinned being seen. She bit into the lies that Satan told her. She, she believed what he said, but not the man. <laughs> and so when he misquotes God here, I think he does it in a way that will confuse her. He's trying to to trip her up. He would say this. Did God say you couldn't eat of every tree, you know? That doesn't really seem like a, a loving, caring God, does it? God is love. John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 tells us that plainly. And if God loved me, He'd just let me eat whatever I wanted to eat, right? Why was that tree put there? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why was the tree that was off limits, if it was off limits, why was it put in the garden? Well, I think I have an idea. And I, I don't think it's wrong. My idea is this. Without a choice, were they really serving God? If all they had to choose were the right things, well, of course they get it right. What if you and I were baptized and we just lived lives and God made it so that we lived lives that were completely 
uh, faithful and we didn't have the choice of anything that was wrong. Would we really be serving God to, to serve Him? Or would we use Him simply as a spiritual bank account in order to get to heaven? You see, the tree is there for the same reason why temptation is here. What do you choose when it's put there in front of you? You choose to serve God? Or do you choose to serve self? The purpose of this particular knot in chapter 3 and verse 1 was to divide Adam and Eve. It was to uh, pull them apart so that she and he had to make decisions on their own where they weren't probably as strong. You think of the decisions you've made in your marriage that you've made together that, that are good decisions. You say, man, that was, we, we nailed that one. And think of decisions you have to make on the fly that would affect your marriage. And you have to make them right then and you don't get a chance to ask your spouse. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're not so right. You think, man, I wish I would have had a chance to ask her about this or talk to her about that. The purpose there was to divide them, to weaken them. Did God say you can't eat of every tree? That loving, kind God surely wouldn't say that, would he? Notice in verse number four, the second knot. As he goes on, he writes, uh, Moses writes this for us. And the woman said to the serpent, verse 2, We may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the fruit which is in the middle of the garden, God said, Don't eat of it. Don't touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, Here's your second knot. You shall not surely die. He goes on to say, God knows that in the moment that you eat of this fruit, whatever the fruit was, in the moment you eat of it, that you're going to be like Him. You're going to know right from wrong. You're going to be the authority. All you have to do is choose not to follow direct orders. Direct law, direct commands. You're not going to die. Satan was not trying at this point to confuse her. He was contradicting God straight up. God said, you're going to die. As a matter of fact, in the Hebrew, he writes this, dying, you shall die. And you say, what is that? What in the world is he talking about? Not only are you going to be dead physically or start dying physically, but you're going to be dead spiritually. You're going to have pulled yourself away. In the process of dying, you will have already died. An interesting idea. And Satan says, <laughs> no. That's obviously an exaggeration. God loves you. He's not going to do that. God's not going to keep this threat. He's not going to kill you physically. And you're not going to be that separated from him. It's just a piece of fruit. It's not just a piece of fruit. 
Understand this statement. It's not just a piece of fruit. It's not the fact that they ate a piece of fruit. It's not a fact, uh, the, the, the fact that they touched a piece of fruit. But it's the principle behind what happened in Genesis chapter 3. That they obviously went against the very law of God. No matter what the law was. It wasn't about the fruit. It was about the heart. And Adam and Eve chose something else. Look over to Romans chapter 5. And verse number 19. Romans chapter 5. And verse number 19. Here's what you read. For as by one man's disobedience were many made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So, so many in our, in the denominational world will take that and say, uh, you see then that, that everybody has inherited this original sin. If that's the case, then everybody from, uh, from, uh, Jesus forward has obtained eternal salvation because then they are the sons of God. What you have here is by one example and by one disobedience of God, sin was ushered into this world. And the idea of choosing sin is, is it, and it ushered into this world. But through the blood of one, can these sins be made uh, to disappear? Can a man stand before God righteous? So it is not the fact that you shall not surely die. You will die. Choosing that way, you will die. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, 4. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, uh, the idea in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23 is this. All who understand and know right from wrong and have the ability to choose. Have chosen wrong. You read in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, His Son. So while you and I choose the wrong, the the outright wage for that, the, the payment for that is death. And there's no way around that. One sin, the payment for one sin is what? Death. The payment for a million sins is what? Death. You shall not surely die. That's a lie. You surely will. If you don't believe me, then we had opportunity. Ask Eve. Wonder what she would say about that. Notice this. Job chapter 1 and verse 9. The third knot that's found within the devil's tail is found in the book of Job. And uh, as, as this book opens, you're going to read this. There was a man whose name was Job. He was perfect. He was upright. He feared God. He ran away, King James Version would say, eschewed evil. And uh, here's some background on Job. He had seven sons. He had three daughters. He had a whole bunch of animals. 
so that he was the greatest man of all the East? Verse 6. Now that was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you been? He said, I've been walking to and fro on the earth. And up and down in it. And the Lord said to Job, Hast thou, or Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job? It's none like him on the earth. And he, he reiterates the fact that he's perfect, that he's upright, that he eschews evil, he runs from evil. In verse number 9, here's what you'll see. And Satan answered, Does, the, does uh, Job serve thee for naught or for nothing? And you look at it and you say, well, that's not that's not that big of a no. Understand what Satan is trying to say to the God of heaven and earth. Job only serves you because you bless him. You, in fact, God, have bought Job. He, he serves you because you've paid him off. He's the richest man in all the East. He has everything that he wants. Why, why would he not serve you? As if to say God is not worthy of service unless he is being uh, one who pays us all. What an interesting statement. And that particular statement Throughout our land, throughout our state, and quite possibly, I don't know this to be fact, but quite possibly throughout our city, is being preached the same way even today. Well, it takes a few different words. And generally, the, the different words are very catchy, and they'll say things like, if you can name it, you can claim it. That is, God is obligated to give you something because you serve Him, you know, so He's, he's obligated to you. Let's go back a few years. And I want you to get well entrenched in your mind. The one who sits in the back of this garden who is so distressed over the events that will happen in his life over the next few days that he's sweating great drops of blood. That, it, that the capillaries under his, his skin are bursting and, and blood's coming out mingled with sweat. Then he's arrested, spit on and beaten and has the hairs of his beard pulled out. Put a crown on his head of thorns in order to mock him. And they make sure it's good and tight so they can beat it down on his head with a stick. You know, that same head where those capillaries burst. Just a side note for you here. The idea of those bursting capillaries would cause... Uh, after they stopped bleeding outwardly, would cause a 
a pool of blood under the skin and, and bruised the head so that when they put that crown of thorns on him and, and knocked it down into place, it cut into that pool of blood again and he would bleed down his face. Being beyond recognition, uh, Isaiah chapter 52 will tell us that his visage was so marred that it couldn't be recognized. His face was so beat up. They mocked him again. They, they would rather have a known thief and rapist in amongst their midst named Barabbas than Jesus himself. He carries his own death implement up on the hill and he's nailed to that. He sits, he, he, he's there six hours uh, pulling himself up in order to breathe before he strangulates on his own blood. He's put in a tomb and three days later he's risen from that tomb. Forty days after that he's ascended back to the Father. Now, with all that firmly entrenched in your mind, you tell me who owes who. Job's going to serve God. I'm going to serve God because God owes me something. God's given me everything. I'm going to serve God uh, in some aspect out of a sense of obligation because I owe Him everything. Satan is painting the picture as if Job holds all the cards. Job's not even playing the game. He's not even dealt into this hand. You have a man here who says, or Satan here who says, Job fears thee for nothing because you provided everything for him. Let me show you something that God has provided for us. So that when we have an opportunity to choose, we choose the right way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There has no temptation taken you, but as such as common to man. But God's faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That doesn't sound like a God who's obligated to me. That sounds like a God who is in favor of me, who is loving me, who's trying to help me. 38 chapters within the book of Job. Job asks the question over and over and over, why, why, why is this happening? By the end of the book, this is what he learns. I serve God out of fear and love. And Satan couldn't be more wrong if he tried. Notice this, num- not number four. Matthew chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 16 happens twice. Jesus heals. And the question is, how is he doing it? Is he healing via the means of, of Satan? He said, it's told at one point in time that he's not the son of David. That's the wrong name up there. But, rather, he's doing it from the, the um, standpoint of Beelzebub. That is, he's using the powers of Satan to cast out demons. Jesus said in chapter 12, a house divided against itself will never stand. That is, I can't use the power to cast out the power of the same guy. 
Imagine that. In chapter 16, as Satan tries to use, my opinion is, in every instance of those 12 disciples who eventually become the 12 apostles found in the, uh, the, the Gospels, we, we hear of at least two or three places where different uh, disciples were tempted by Satan to try to, look like to try to thwart God's plan. In chapter 16, you'll hear Jesus say to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. I don't think he just exclusively worked on Judas. I think any disciple would have worked for him. Judas was the one who cracked. I think Satan, in these two chapters, used the attitude of the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests, anyone who was against the, uh, Jesus the Christ and against his teachings because of however it made them feel, however threatened it was, they were against their jobs and losing those. He used all of those attitudes to work and to undermine the authority of God. And guess what? It cost Jesus his life. And it worked perfectly into the plan of God. Satan has yet, with all of the lies that he tells, with all of the lies that he, that he puts out there, he has yet to alter God's plan. Now right there, brother and sisters, where you and I should hang our hat. While this month we've looked at Satan and he's, he's been uh, intimidating to us and, and hopefully we've gotten a lot of information, we should hang our hats on the fact that whatever he has done in order to, to mess up God's plan, it hasn't worked. And yet in these two chapters, he tries his hardest to undermine the authority of God. Look at verse, uh, number five, this fifth knot. John chapter eight and verse number 13. Here's what you'll read. Oh, thy record is not true. Speaking about Jesus. That the record of Jesus is, is not true. If you ever have a Bible study with people who don't recognize the authority of the Bible as God's Word, one of the questions that will come up is, but how do you know that it's true? That's not necessarily the end of the Bible study. You might have people there who, who are trying to confuse you and trying to get out of it and don't want to study. You might have that. Then you might have someone who's really wondering the question, but how do you know it's true? Here Satan said the record of Jesus is not true. Is that true? <laughs> what a question. Is, is, if Satan says this guy is lying, is he telling me the truth? Or is this guy? With these opposing views, let me tell you what you'll have. One of them's going to be telling the truth, and one of them's not. Or, neither one's going to be telling the truth, but you can't have both of them telling you the truth when they're opposite. Uh, in their in their mindset. So is Satan right? Is Jesus right? 
It has been the mindset of Satan and seemingly his job to try to uh, put doubt in what God has told us is true. Now, do you believe that? If you don't, just open up any book that your child brings home. You know, as well as I know, my wife teaches middle school, eighth grade history. And there's a section in there that that comes before where she decides to start. There's there's chapter one. And if you were to take that book out, what you need to do is chapter one is pull it out and throw it in the trash. She spends, I think, a grand total of a day or two on chapter one in order to show you or try to teach the kids how to begin to think on their own. The title of this chapter is Prehistoric Times. Okay. Question. How do we have records on something that's before records? All right. Chapter two. How are you going to tell me what happened before people wrote what happened? Damn! <coughs> oh, it's evolution. Why? Because God's record is not true. It happened. It had to happen some other way, other than six days of creation, didn't it? When I was growing up, it was somewhere around a hundred million years. Now it's. Closer to 14 billion. Yeah, what's a few years amongst friends? If you're going to be wrong, you might as well go all the way and be wrong. You might be wrong real big. From evolution, all the way to the fact that folks will tell you that hell is not real, but heaven is. That, that God who... As a loving father would only give and never punish? How many of you fathers, don't raise your hands, how many fathers love your children? Never punished one of them, did you? My little children don't do anything wrong. My little children do. And they have to be corrected. From evolution to hell to, to the way you and I live, to the way you and I worship. Satan has said throughout the history of the world that God's record's not true. Well, here's where you end up. You end up this way. You can choose to follow God or you can choose to follow Satan. God who has... Never lied, never has the ability to do that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. Or you can follow John chapter 8 and verse 44. The person, the one who invented lying. The source of all lies. What are you going to follow? There are several more knots that you and I could find within the Bible to speak of the way the devil speaks to us. The lies that he tries to to teach us and tries to tell us. But I want you to know this. Every single lie that has ever been told by Satan to man 
has been designed for one purpose. And that one purpose is to question the truthfulness and the integrity of the one who sits on the throne above the circle of the earth. The one who has all authority, the one who holds all of the cards, the might and the power and the majesty of God that's all been done in order to just put a little bit of doubt in there. If I have doubt, I'm not going to follow. If I'm not going to follow, Satan's logic is I win, God loses. The reality is God always wins. You and I lose with Satan. Matthew chapter 25, verse number 41. Be tossed into a place prepared for the devil. And the, the, uh, the King James would say, and his angels. I think the Greek would render more of the idea of the devil and his followers. that where you want to be? It's not where I want to be. It's not where I want to live my life in order to get away from. I want to live my life in order to be ser- uh, a servant unto God. Because, one, it's the right thing to do. Secondly, it's the proper thing to do when I look at eternity. Because there are only two places. Either heaven... Or hell. As hell is described, no one wants to go there. As heaven is described, no one wants to do the work to get there. Would you live faithful to God on this side of eternity? In order to receive everything God has? Would you live faithfully on this side of eternity? In order to be considered an adopted son of God? A joint heir with Jesus himself? Or would you live selfishly on this side of eternity and earn yourself a ticket to the place prepared for the devil and his angels?